welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Church, and it's, uh, I feel a real privilege for me to be here this morning to be able to share with you. And we're actually about to start a new series. And our new series, for those that have been here for some time, just seeing it advertised week in, week out, is called The Deadly Seven. Now, you might be thinking, what the heck is The Deadly Seven all about? Well, maybe if you've had a Catholic background, you would recognise that it's perhaps a, a reference to the seven deadly sins. And indeed, we've got many people here who, who have come from a Catholic background in terms of their faith. And um, if you'd done some research, maybe you would have flicked on the internet and typed in the deadly seven or deadly seven sins or something like that, and you would have seen a whole bunch of things flick up like the seven deadly sins of dating or the seven deadly sins of email or the seven deadly sins of business or the seven deadly sins of that. or the seven... Actually, seeing Laura over there, you know there was even a restaurant in Melbourne called the Seddon Deadly Sins. So, I don't... <laughs> so there you go. I don't know what that means. You can tell us about that later. But... Uh... <laughs> But So the seven deadly sins is basically just referring to um, a, a, a list of sins, a list of things that are uh, vices, if you like, that have become, um, I guess, um, have gained that title throughout church history. Okay, about 590 or so, a guy called, uh, a pope called Gregory sort of formalised this list um, and it was called the seven deadly sins. They were recognised as things that, and it's actually not a list, it's not just a neat list in the Bible that you can go to. You can't go to, you know, book and chapter such and such and verse such and such and find, okay, here's the list of the seven deadly sins. What, what it is though, like I said, it's a list that comes out of church history. And it's a list of things that is recognised, I guess, as um, motivational sins, if you like. Things that, vices that that inspire other things. So, for example, the seven deadly sins themselves are uh, lust, greed, envy, gluttony, wrath or anger, pride, and sloth or laziness. Okay, so those things themselves, they're the dead, seven deadly sins. But if you look and think about it too much, you'll see, well, where's murder? Because murder's a pretty deadly sin, I would think. Well, no, murder's not in that list because murder is a result of the things that brewing amongst those seven deadly sins. So if anger is out of control, it can result in murder. If greed is out of control, it can result in murder and so on and so forth. So we're looking at some of these, I guess, these attitudinal sins, these things that are, that are deeply ingrained that, uh, when we're talking about the seven deadly sins. Now, you've probably guessed at this point that we're not going to be promoting these things. <laughs> All right, we're a church. We're generally not going to be promoting the seven deadly sins. But the other thing I want to set you at rest is we're not, we're not here... Just to state the obvious either and give everyone a good flogging and, um, you know, say stop this and stop that. Um, you know, I mean, obviously we're not going to be promoting these things, I said, and we will be talking about them. But really, it's more about looking at, okay, what are, what are perhaps, what are these things? How can we identify them in our lives? Because often these things do flow fairly naturally for us. But on the other side, what are some of the opposites? What are some of the virtues, the life-giving virtues that we can adopt in place of these seven deadly sins? Things that are going to promote health and promote relationships, promote growth in our lives and all that sort of stuff. So we want to really keep this, this whole deal fairly positive. Okay, sadly, I guess our, our collective conscience as a, as, a, as a society has become fairly seared. Um, you know, in previous generations, particularly, I guess, those with a, with a Christian heritage, you know, the seven deadly sins were things to be shunned. 
They were things to be ashamed of, things that people didn't boast about. You know, they ever, I mean, because of the sinful nature we have, we, we all indulge in these things at some level. We're all, they're all a part of us at some level. But they weren't things that people um, really ever boasted about. You know, they're things that people tried to keep under wraps and try to keep under control. Unfortunately, today we're living in a society where these things are not just tolerated, but they're actually promoted and, dare I say, celebrated. So much of our, you know, think about the entertainment industry, think about the advertising industry. Basically, these things ride on the back of the seven deadly sins. These things, all they're trying to do is to draw these things out of us and pander to these things which are, which are you know, latent within us, but they're trying to draw them out and get them to manifest themselves in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so um, with that in mind, I guess I just want to start. This isn't the main bulk of my message, so I'll get there in a minute, but I just... I guess just to give a quick definition, because I'm not sure if everyone here would regularly be here, and you may not even think, know what this term sin means, but sin is just simply about missing the mark with regards to God's perfect will. Okay? God has moral standards. Okay? We live in a, in, a, in, a, in a world that is overseen by God who has absolutes. There are some things which are wrong, there are some things which are right, and he's calling us to live up to those things that are right and to get rid of those things that are wrong. Okay? When we miss God's mark... For our lives, it's called sin. Okay, sin essentially is is rebellion against God. It's choosing to do our thing as opposed to God's thing. Okay, it's been, I guess, watered down to a whole lot of other things, and it's been called error and mistakes and all of that sort of stuff. You know, sometimes it's called other people's fault. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but at the end of the day, the Bible. uh, (laughs) But the Bible puts puts it fairly on us and squarely on us both the, the, as the origin of sin and as the, uh, the people that are accountable and responsible for our own sin. Okay, it's, um, you know, the Bible all talks about, also talks about the fact that sin is sin. Whether you miss the mark by a millimetre or a kilometre, in God's sight, it's sin. Okay, his, his standard, if you like, is love. And so if we slip into hatred, whether we miss it by a millimetre and we speak badly of somebody, or maybe it's more than a millimetre to speak badly of someone, or we go the whole way and murder them, in God's economy it's all sin. It all misses the perfect mark of love. Okay, so in that sense, you know, really we're all in the same boat. I'm not standing here as the expert telling you guys what you're doing wrong and you know, be like me. And, and indeed none of us could do that. We're all tar- tarred with the same brush as it were. We all battle and wrestle with the presence of sin in our life. Every one of us, the Bible talks about, has fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all come under this broad banner that is sinner. Okay? And so that's, that's, that's for free. That's just kind of a bit of background if you just wanted a definition for what sin is. Um, but I don't really want to focus on that particularly this morning. The, ser- the title of this message is called, God has a no, but his yes is bigger. God has a no, but his yes is bigger. You know, the reality is, or the first point I want to talk about, is the fact that God, uh, the God of no, with a question mark on it. Because so many people think that God is just this massive no. I mean, you can understand that the situation we're faced with as a church, we, we are called to a, a holy standard of living. We've got Jesus Christ as our example. We've got Old and New Testament that both talk about the perils of sin and the devastation that results from it and all that. And and we're living in a world that is just, you know, reeling under the weight of sin. Okay, there's devastation all around us because people have gone away from God's will. And so you can understand why as a church, if we're not careful, we can begin to slip and take our eyes off of God and begin to put it on and major on the issue of sin. 
And I think that's happened in our society. You know, we've, 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 as a church, we feel an obligation to protect people from themselves and from others. And, and we can begin to talk about, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that because it's bad. And, you know, our motives can be pure. But if we're not careful, and I think this has happened, the perception of the church and of God himself is just a one big fat no exclamation mark. No, sm- no smoking, no drinking, no sex before marriage, no having fun. No wearing tight clothes, no showing any skin, no tats, no long hair, no short hair, no, 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 no. Just no everything. No lying, no stealing, no divorce. Where does it end? It's just no, 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 no. That's people's perception of God and of the church. Is that fair? fair assumption? Yeah, okay. My question is then, if it is an assumption, is it a fair assumption? Is God really just a big no, God? Well, I guess it depends on what our perspective is. If we just look at something in isolation, if we take the example of greed, for example, you know, what's wrong with greed? What's wrong with me as an individual wanting more? Nothing wrong with that, surely. Particularly if I just look at it from my perspective, and if I can afford something extra, I'll get something extra, and if I can... You know, even make this deal or do that deal, and I can, you know, accumulate a few more. What's wrong with that? Nothing, from my perspective. But if we put it on a worldwide scale, we begin to look at God's plan and purpose for all people. We begin to see that some are rising at the expense of others. We see that greed, while it might be fine for this person, is actually having a really negative impact on this person living in another country, earning a few cents a month to perpetuate this person's greed or this society's greed on this side of the world. Okay, so in order to get a, a right perspective on this whole deal about why actually God has a no at all, is he just a, a, you know, a killjoy? Is he just trying to ruin our fun? Is it that he doesn't know how to have fun himself and that that has become ingrained in his people and, and now we're just trying to ruin everyone else's fun because we're jealous? Is that what it's all about? Or is there a purpose behind God's no? So God does have a no and there's a purpose behind it. And I want to have a look at the reason, for this per- or the reason why God does have a no by looking at the fact that he's actually... The God of the big yes. And that's my second point. God has a massive yes. If he has a big no, he has a massive yes. If we go back to the beginning, and that's really the best place to go, to go back to the beginning, to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and have a look at the first two chapters. Now, if I was to ask you again, you know, what happens in, at the beginning of the Bible? Many of us, in our thinking, because we even... You know, unknowingly have been, been tuned in to God as a no God. It's been the way we've perhaps been brought up and maybe you know, we're conscious of our sinfulness and all that sort of stuff and we feel the weight of God's no in our life. Maybe our thinking straight away goes to the fact, well, God told Adam and Eve not to eat a certain fruit. They did. They were punished, etc., etc. Anyone do that? If I ask you about what happened in the beginning, a lot of people tend to go there. But that's not all that happened in the beginning. There is so much more that happened prior to that particular event. When we look at the world, and again, we've got, we've got scripture to go through, and I would encourage you in your own time to go and back and read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But ultimately, we stand in the results. The world about us is the result of God's creative activity. And I think about the sort of creation that we stand in, and it is certainly not the brainchild of some miserly, stingy killjoy who's freaked out about anyone, you know, God forbid, enjoying themselves. To me, when I look at creation, I see 
something lavish, something extravagant. It speaks of a heart that is surely pumping with love and generosity. Yes. Good, good. And when I think about you know, the, the, the stage that God has given to play out this life on, it's not just like you know, we see Daniel and says get up here sometimes and Sean and others and they do their little improv thing. You know, it's like very bare bones. It's like meagre in terms of its support. It's just them and, and, and it's what, who they are and what they say that is the bulk of what's going on. You know, the rest is just blackness. There's nothing there. And we could do life like that. God, God could have put us on this planet with a little bottle of oxygen. <laughs> Without a sun. We wouldn't need eyes. He could have given us somewhere to stand if we needed that. And he could have said, enjoy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he didn't. He created this, this lavish creation. You think about it, for every one of our five senses, there is a feast. A feast. You know, when it talks about God creating trees, it says it was trees that were pleasing to the eye and fruit that they could eat. So there's a visual feast going on in creation. You think about all that we see today uh, in a fallen state. How much more? You know, the Bible tells me at the start that God, not only did he create everything, but then in chapter 2 it tells he actually planted a garden. So in other words, he, he did... Creation, generally speaking. But then, a la Graham Hazel, he sets his attention onto a certain piece of land and he begins to think about, okay, how can we make this place special? What can I plant here? He begins to think, I guess, specifically about aesthetics and aromas and all these sorts of things. And he creates this garden environment in which to put the, the pinnacle of his creation, the object of his affection, his kids. It's amazing when you think about it. It talks about <clears throat> you've got all this, this beautiful um, plant life. You've got wildlife. But it wasn't really wildlife back then because we read later on that it was only after the fall, or sorry, after the flood, that God put the fear of man in the animals. So when we, you've seen those little books, those, you know, that you may have seen when you're in doctor's surgeries or whatever, or, or you know, maybe you've had them around the home, that the pictures with, you know, Adam and Eve and the animals all around, there's good reason for that. Because we, we, we read of Adam, he's able to name the animals as they come past. And, and so there was, a, a, I guess, a closeness. They were almost like domesticated animals. And so that adds to the, the beauty of this, this visual feast, if you like. It talks about the fact there's a river running through this garden. And so you've got, you've got the beauty of, of a flowing river. You've got all the sounds that are associated with that. You've got the sounds of the birds singing. You've got the sounds of the lions roaring every now and then. You've got the sounds of the crickets and all the insects. You've got, this just, you've got the, the river just sort of floating by and the sound of water running. It's a, it's a feast to the ears. It's a feast of fragrance. You think about the fragrance of fruits and, and flowers and all of these things on a perfect day. This doesn't sound like a killjoy God to me. This doesn't sound like a massive no God to me. This sounds very much like a yes God that we're talking about right now. He says, of all the fruits and grains that I made, you can eat any of it, apart from one. But you can eat of it. So you think about, again, you're, you're the, you know, just the various um, types of fruit that there are. 
be they citrus or be they tropical fruits, there's all that. Then you've got all your nuts, and then you've got your beans, including coffee beans, Mick Roberts, wherever he is. You've got your grains, you've got everything. And they've got it there, and they've got it to do with it as they like. They can eat it raw, they can begin to experiment by, with cooking it and mix, blending it, and whatever. It's all there in terms of just experimenting and exploring the heights and depths of the world of taste. And then there's the vast array of sensual experiences that the body can feel. You think about just the pleasure of standing on a beautiful day like we had last Saturday, not this yesterday, but the one before that, as the, it's kind of like the first day of spring and the sun comes out. And just that feeling of the warmth on your body. It's like a privilege, it's a pleasure, it's beautiful. And just a you know, little breeze playing across your skin. This, this is something that God created us to be able to enjoy. He didn't have to give us feelings over the entire body that we have. I mean, he could have given us sight and he could have given us taste and he could have left out smell and hearing and feel. But he didn't, he gave us all of that. Imagine the first time they, they plunged into the water and went for a swim. Another total sensation of water, coolness, and all of that sort of thing. They went underwater. They realized there's fish under there. Saw something they hadn't experienced before. You know, God is just generous, lavish. You know, we went to Monato in our holidays with the kids, and when you first walk into Monato, there's, this, there's all these skins, animal skins. And again, you think fur is fur. Well, it's not. My kids are going, oh, feel that. And some of the fur of animals is quite rough, and some of it's really soft and velvety. And so there's just this, again, even just, even just in terms of just patting animals, there was a vast sensory experience, if you like. And then on top of all of that, God gives the privilege of sexuality. And he says to Adam, it's not good that you're alone. He's not a stingy God. If he was a stingy God, he, said, well, you, he would have said, you and me, Adam, we're going to make the best of this. Because you're mine, and I don't want to share you with anyone else. But he didn't. He says it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he makes a woman, and he gives her freely to him. And this is where we get marriage from. It's all right back there in the book of Genesis. It specifically talks about it. For this reason, a man will leave his, leave his, his mother and father, who will join the woman, they'll become one flesh. And it says they were naked and they were unashamed. And so that's the context of God. The yes God, the generous God, the God that is freely giving. Now, if I take, for example, one of the deadly sins, let's just say lust. Lust has become recognized as a deadly sin. One of the deadly seven, because it can lead to sexual immorality. But God's not anti-sex. God created sex. God put the desire in us, the appetites within us for food, for sex, etc. And so that's God's idea. But when we abuse or we, we allow those things to control us, because the big difference between the human world, or humanity and the animal kingdom is that animals operate according to, according to urges and impulses and instincts. Whereas humanity is different. We've been given a will and we can exercise self-control. And so whereas there's a big difference between, or there should be, between a dog on heat and a human being who is attracted physically to someone. If you last there. I'm not talking about last this morning, so I'll let someone else go there down the track. But you know what I'm saying? So God, you know, in, in, as we recognize 
that there's a no to lust, it's in the context of a massive yes that God himself has created, which is yes to sexual enjoyment and pleasure and all the benefits that go with family life. He's pro-marriage. He's pro all of the benefits that come towards couples and families and societies when people live within those boundaries that he's established. You know, there's financial security, there's emotional security, there's physical security, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is a, that is a benefit of God's yes to marriage. But if God's got a yes to marriage, it means almost by default there's a no to divorce. Now again, why does God have a no to divorce? Is it because I want to make these people suffer in the midst of a bad relationship? That would seem a little bit out of character to me, to the God who's created everything, the Bible says, for our enjoyment. And so we see that God's heart for marriage is that people work stuff out. It's that people live in a certain manner that honours one another and seeks to please one another. That's God's plan for marriage. And, and it's no in the context of that. Not no in the context of where today, you know, we've, people think, well, you know, are you saying God wants me to stay in an abusive relationship? Are you saying he wants me to keep getting beaten up on my heart? No, God never wanted it to get there. It got there because of the seven deadlies. <laughs> so God is a massive yes God. He's yes for beauty. We can see that in creation. He's yes for diversity. Again, we see it in creation. He's yes for art. He's yes for harmony. He's yes for industry. He's yes for recreation. He's yes for encouragement. He's yes for support. He's yes for appreciation. He's yes for success. He's yes for safety. Yes for security. He's yes for health. He's yes for hygiene. He's yes for helping out those who are battling. Yes, 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 yes. And then the no's flow out of that. Because God loves people. He's against the things that ruin people's lives. We don't live in isolation. We are interconnected. What I do affects others. If I have an affair, it affects my beautiful wife. It affects my kids. It affects my friends. Whether I like it or not, it ripples out and touches our society in a negative way. So God says, no, don't go there. When people exercise their right of recreational drug use, they impinge on the rights of others to experience a richer, more beautiful society. What do I mean? I mean, I asked Jen to do a bit of research for me just on Friday, just on some of the costs of some of the, the sin in our society. And she came up with one report, it was a 2011 report, but it was referring back to 2004-05. And the cost of drug abuse, so be that um, what we call drugs, smoking, alcohol, for Australia was $55 billion. That's the direct and indirect costs of people doing something that they say doesn't hurt anyone else, and I'm free to do it. I can get away with it. I've got no negative effects, etc. $55 billion. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking, in terms of a society... Could we possibly use that 55 billion somewhere else? I mean, for anyone that drives up McIntyre Road, for example, or comes down, like there is this massive like thing. I mean, I would love to see just a few more bucks just put into that straight little puppy out. You know, that'd be nice. For those that are struggling physically, I'm sure they would love a little bit more support at home. For those that are battling educationally. Surely a little bit more support there would be good. 
But there are so many things that we cannot do. The things that are perhaps in our hearts to do, but we just we cannot afford them because we're too busy cleaning up after people's exercise of their rights and indulging the deadly seven. There's always a cost. And so this is what God is, is on about when he says a no anywhere. It's because he wants the best for us and not the worst. He set us up for the win. And so his no's are to keep us in the place of the win, not to lose it all. And we've done a pretty good job of, being, of losing a whole bunch of stuff over the, over the years. I mean, I'm not talking about utopia. I'm not talking about some unrealistic ideal. I'm just saying, hey, if we as people could begin to live in the power of God's yes, and I'll go there in a minute, as opposed to seeing how far we can go and still get away with it, I think our society could be far richer, far better, than if we just all refuse to live with a sense of responsibility and think that we're an island unto ourselves and what we do doesn't affect anyone else, because it does. So that's why God says yes to things like law and order. God says yes to strong and secure and supportive family units. God says yes to the rewards of our labour and all of those sorts of things. He's a yes God. And I just want to finish this morning by now looking at living in the power of God's yes. Because again, now that I've mentioned it, you probably think, yeah, that makes sense. But perhaps we weren't living there. Perhaps again, looming large in our mind is this sense of God's no God. We're living in the, in the power of no as opposed to the power of yes. And the trouble with that is if we think of following Jesus and becoming a Christian and, and working that out as, okay, stop swearing, stop smoking, stop wearing whatever, stop, 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 no, 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 no. Well, then all we do is become a little bit more respectable. But we don't necessarily become more godly. Jesus didn't come as the absence of bad things. He came as the presence of good things. He didn't help anyone by not swearing. He came as the presence of healing. He came as the presence of authority. He came as the presence of wisdom into situations. And so if you and I reduce our faith to just don't do this, don't do that. I mean, we can have a, you know, we can feel better about ourselves, but our net impact for Jesus can be nothing. Negative. Because people, me not swearing or swearing, it doesn't really affect people too much. But if, on the other hand, I decide to use my mouth for good, that can really affect people. I mean, me not saying a few choice words, no impact. Me getting alongside someone and encouraging them, saying, man, that was so awesome what you did. I believe in you. I am for you. Yeah, you messed up, but it's a brand new day tomorrow. And just getting along and training and equipping and helping and encouraging and strengthening people. That's what we're talking about here. That's the yes. That's the power of yes, as opposed to the power of no. You know, Mark, uh, where are we? On the scripture I was going to read, Ephesians 4.29. It says, do not let any, just to illustrate this, because I haven't actually read anything from the Bible yet, so just for anyone else, feeling a bit nervous. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And it's not a full stop there. It's a comma. And it says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So I know there's people around us who've got needs. Man, there is massive needs in our society. 
I mean, so many people feel less about themselves than they ought to. So many people are struggling to realize where they fit in and you know, their purpose for life and all that. So there is so much that we can speak into a person's life that's going to give them what they need. Help them with direction. Help them with a sense of purpose. Help them with a sense of significance. Help connect them to God and all of these things. This is, this is the yes of Christianity as opposed to just living in the no. You know, we're not called to sidle upside someone and say, I've stopped swearing since I've become a Christian. And you know, you should too. <laughs> Some people, that's witnessing. <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's it. That's what they think. If I can get this person to stop swearing, mate, that, that is it. That is what the, the kingdom of God has come to earth. <laughs> I just think that's, that's just way small. When we think about the, the God of creation that I've mentioned before and his expectations and aspirations for us as his kids, Yeah? Again, there's a no for divorce. So we can live in the no of divorce and we can make another person miserable by hanging around. And that's commendable, I think. But that's not what God's talking about. You know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 5, there's another one. It says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. They were asking about, you know, is it permissible to divorce? And Jesus said, look, the reason that whole divorce thing came about was because your hearts were hard. In other words, don't get divorced, but don't keep a hard heart either. If you've got a hard heart, you might not get divorced, but you will be miserable, and so will your family. But how about deal with the issue of the heart? How about go about becoming the best husband or the best wife you can possibly be? How about making your partner's life a joy and a delight? How about inspiring your kids that, yes, they should get married too one day, rather than, mate, I don't want to get married ever. I'm just going to sleep around because getting married is too hard. This is the yes of God, a marriage that is thriving and inspirational and, and again, um, you know, touches our society in a positive way. As opposed to miserable Christians staying married and just backing up people's idea that Christianity is all about know this, know that, and certainly no fun. Abraham, in James, tells us it was justified by what he did. And Romans tells us it was justified by what he did, not by what he didn't do. Abraham wasn't justified because he didn't swear. He wasn't justified because he didn't divorce Sarah. He wasn't justified, he was justified by what he did. He heard the will of God. He walked in the will of God. God spoke to him even before his son Isaac was born. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to be a blessing. And indeed, your offspring are going to be a blessing to the whole world. Again, sometimes to look at the church, you would have thought God would have come to Abraham and said, I'm going to keep the whole world accountable through you lot. But it's not. We're to be a blessing. We're to show a better way. We're to inspire. Our lives should be inspirational. Talking about it someone the other night, you know, as Christians, we, don't have, we shouldn't have to have you know, the flashiest cars and the biggest houses in the street for people to be envious of us. I think there's a godly envy that we can create in other people when people look at us and they look at our, our marriages and they look at the state of our children and how they're growing up and some of the things that, you know, the way they treat their friends and, and they, look at, they come into our house and they just... They sense that there's a, there's a peace here. There's something tranquil about this environment that I've just walked into. It's not the richest. It's not the biggest. It hasn't got everything. But there's something wildly attractive about this. That's what God's talking about when he says we're going to be a blessing and we're going to bless others. Jesus said it's by your love for one another that they will know you're my disciples. Not by what you don't do. Not by what you don't say. 
So there's basically two, two approaches to this whole relationship with God thing. There's the no approach, which is, focuses on the negative, And there's the yes approach, which focuses on the positive. I mean, psychologists tell us today, you know, if you want to give up smoking, the one thing that you've got to do to get success is not to think, I've got to give up smoking. You don't give up smoking by thinking, got to give up smoking, 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 and try and talk yourself into giving up smoking that way. The one thing that you'll do there is increase your crave, <laughs> your craving to smoke, because you're focused on the very thing that you're trying to leave behind. Why not do something different? Why not get involved in a hobby or a sport that is kind of anti-smoking, that is kind of like if you do that, you know, start marathon running or something, you'll soon realise that you, you know, your desire halfway through a marathon you, you'll, you'll come out of that thing looking, oh, mate, I'm giving up smoking. I don't do that anymore. I need every breath I can get. Or maybe, maybe start going out with someone who doesn't like smoking. That's a good motivator. You know what I'm saying? Look at the positive rather than the negative. And I think, again, now this, we can take this approach into our faith. Let's not focus on, you know, not wearing this or not doing that. Or da, 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 da. But let's look at the opposite side of it. What can we do? Let's just get so caught up in the privilege and the adventure that is serving God, that we don't have time to be on the internet worrying about porn and stuff like that. Seriously. We don't have time to get caught up in nonsense because every moment of our day is, is purposeful and focused and, and aligned with people who also are purposeful and focused and aren't dragging us this way and aren't dragging us that way. And when we are interacting with those that are broken, it's with intentionality. It's not to take advantage of them. It's to help lift them. That's the yes of God and that's the yes of God's people. And so our prayer, as we um, are entering this series, which I guess you know, maybe it had a heavy feel to it to initially, is not about don't do this, don't do that. It's about, no, there's a better way. And let's leave behind what we've been caught up on in order to embrace what is so far much better. Let's live in the yeses of God rather than worry about the noes of God. You know, we're not here to convert people to a different way of sexuality and all that sort of stuff and get people to stop smoking and drinking before they come to church, really. Sometimes it's like that. You know, People outside of church think, well, how can I possibly go to church when I'm dealing with this issue in my life or that issue in my life? It's like, no, no, let's, let's not wrestle with them with their sin. Let's not argue with them about what they're involved in because sin is sin. That's what they do. Paul said, I'm not concerned what goes on outside the church. I'm concerned what goes on in the church. And so are we. And let's, let's set an example. Let's live in a way that is inspirational and encouraging. And let's not beat people up with what we know God says is right or wrong. But let's bring them in to a healing community, connect them to the person of Jesus Christ, and see how he leads them out. We have seen people that have got over some of the most binding stuff just through seeing the beauty of Jesus and deciding to follow him. And he says, you want to follow me? Just leave that there and we'll go this way. And I just think, you know, that might sound a little bit idealistic. And yeah, there's, look, there's, there's a process involved sometimes. But I think, you know, when people come into the presence of the, the awesome, almighty God, creator of all things, seen and unseen, and they've been holding on to this little thing that falls into the category of sin, it soon gets shown up for what it is. And people can let go of that stuff. So let's be part of the answer and not part of the problem. I hope that uh, you'll be encouraged, inspired to come along and hear the rest of the series. It continues tonight. We've got Says is going to be speaking tonight about envy. 
So I want to see you guys come back tonight. That'd be awesome. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.